Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's New in Cloud FinOps, our August episode with myself, Stephen Old. And Franck Contrepoix. Perfect. Great to be speaking with you, Frank. We're not going to say when we're actually recording this, uh, but let's say August has been busy with holidays and holiday cover um, and the like. Um, so today we're going to do a, a shortened episode just focusing on the, the cloud news because of how much has been going on uh, behind the scenes. So we're just going to go through the news and then our next episode in September will be about the free tiers available in Azure um, because there's so many that we wanted yes. to do it justice. <laughs> so... <laughs> Great stuff. Um, Frank, do you want to kick us off with the first bit of news? Yeah. So AWS lowers data processing charge for AWS private link. And so for so it's a good thing. You reduce cost. Absolutely brilliant. And it's, uh, it's very positive. It's for private link. So private link, and I had to go and dig it out because I was confusing with direct link. Private mm. link is to have two VC, VPCs in AWS to talk to each other yeah. without going through the internet. So it will always stay privately inside AWS networking. And it was not that way. So in the past, you needed to have an ad gateway. You need to go out, come back in. It can be complicated. The interesting thing is that uh, this will, it allows you to see all your instances, even in different VPCs, all in one place, it seems. So that's really cool. And so there is a, a reduction of data process. Okay, the basic price for up to one petabyte, and not bit, byte, mm. is 001. That doesn't change. But there is a reduction from the next four petabytes or above another, uh, anything above five petabytes. So if you are really using a VPC a connections, yeah and working there, and you want to make it simpler for infrastructure, no firewall, no no complicated rules, and internet, you can start using private link, and that could help. Yeah, I mean, pri- I remember when private link came out, we, we started using it in my, in my previous role, um, you know, to peer VPCs together, um, when suitable, maybe moving from like a, an e-com environment to data environments and stuff like that, uh, to be able to dump into into the big data platforms. Um, but I mean, and that's you know that's kind of a good example use case. But the the level of data you've got to be shifting here, especially like you say, bytes not bits, so eight oh, yeah. times bigger um, than when you're normally looking at at data transfer stuff. Um, that's that's a significant amount. Not to say it's not worth knowing, not worth using. It's a great tool, um, but you know if you're really shifting some some data around, then you'll be you'll be happy to know that. Uh, but it is a good tool to be using uh, in a wider wider provision. I think recently we were talking about a potential uh, so so a customer, someone, an entity that was uh, that that was planning to generate terabytes or 20 terabytes a day or that amount of data (laughs) they might need that kind of approach yeah (laughs) and they wanted to be able to share it quite widely and then create a platform to be able to view that off and i guess if they want to create separate platforms for different people then then they'll probably want to be looking at something like this um i can't if they're going to go multi-tent or not but yeah exactly it's um it's it, they're the kind of people who who benefit from it because the amount of data flying around will be pretty large. Uh, next bit of news from me. I don't know whether there is news. Uh, there's just a good uh, blog out called "Optimizing Your Cloud Spend with BigQuery and Looker." Um, using BigQuery and Looker alone will not optimize your cloud spend. <laughs> However, uh, what the blog accepts is that 
even though I would say generally the Google tooling is quite good for visibility of cloud spend, when you get to a point where you need something more advanced, um, the blog walks you through how to drop it into BigQuery and then use Looker. Uh, for those who don't know Looker, it was a, uh, a tool that Google bought in 2019 for a cool $2.6 billion. Um, and it's it's very well thought of. It's it's quite a googly tool as well, so it's not a major shock that it went in that direction. Uh, but then you can you can basically have visualization layers on top of the data that's being thrown out of BigQuery. In terms of um, ways to get to data and really detailed data, it is quite a neat way, and it's one of the things that we talk to people about that really you need to start with the visibility to help people start making better decisions. So uh, a nice little blog on how to attack that if you're in Google. Yes, and what I like about these kind of uh, approaches is it allows you to talk with different people in your company to create dashboards specifically or, or visual representation of the data for different type of people. Because quite often when you go to the cloud tools directly, they are very specific, usually for developer or very or the team, the technical teams. And by having this, you can adapt the visibility and what you show and how you show it to your internal processes, but also to who is going to receive that data. Mm -hmm. I like it. Next news is mine, and it is Google Cloud now helps you pick the greenest region for your Google Cloud resources. And that is very nice. Wonderful. So it is a very positive thing. So all of a sudden, you don't. it's not only price or latency that's going to drive your decision of which region to use, but you can also see when you select a region, if it has lowest CO2 emissions and avoid the one that are higher and decide that how much you're ready potentially uh, to, well, better, sorry there. It will allow you to, to choose and take into account also the impact on the environment when choosing where to run your workloads. And I think that is really neat and it goes well with what we're trying to get to, which is people in the cloud, because the cloud is managed more effectively than any data center. Yeah, exactly. One of the reasons we were set up as a company, Street Blue, and one of the reasons me and Frank are here is because of uh, trying to make the cloud as financially efficient as possible so that they move to it quicker and, and in, you know, as completely as they can uh, because we believe it's the greenest form of compute. So uh, great that cloud providers, in this case, Google, are beginning to demonstrate also, you know, if you want to make carbon conscious decisions, here's where you might want to point your, your workload to do. So I love it. Yep. Right. Um, the next one for me is moving over to Microsoft, deliver scalable cost-effective disk storage from Azure VMware solutions. What on earth does that mean? It basically means that the um, disk pool um, service is enabled for uh, Azure disk storage if you're using the, VA, the Azure VMware solution. It basically is almost going a bit old school. You're able to um to pick the um the data plane up as you know via iSCSI. So you can you can see and connect it into VMware like a, a SAN like you've seen before. Um it is really there to help people with immediate migration needs and who are using iSCSI and being able to then pull that in to 
um, Azure's VMware platform because they were having people kind of move across and they wanted to keep it relatively um, similar to how Azure was, but they were hitting roadblocks of people not being able to move across. So you can now use that as well in the hope that it will get people into the cloud and then moving on from there to uh, you know, more recent forms of um, of attaching storage. <laughs> it is very interesting to see how also uh, VMware is still there and it's doing great. And I've not been working on VMware because hey, now I'm 100% cloud, but you still look at the results and say, well, they're still doing well. Where? <laughs> well, all three cloud providers now have an option yes. to do it. it. It seems a quick win. I mean, I've I've been involved in some VMware cloud projects and uh, yeah, it's certainly seen as a lower risk moving step to a lot of people uh and also there's a lot of people still stuck in stuck might be an unfair word for anyone from vmware listening who still are um within a contract for vmware licenses and this gives them a way of still using them but maybe meeting a requirement given to them by other parts of the business to move to cloud Cool. So next one is uh, mine. I'm looking at my tab. So it's AWS now allows customers to pay for their usage in advance. So why why would you pay in advance? Well, you can pay in advance when you know you get your budget quarterly and you just want it all there, so you have better control and you know all the money is going to come out from this, and finance doesn't have to manage your pool of money that you get quarterly and they don't have to manage it on a monthly basis. Uh, and uh, so the, the idea is that you can do that now. You cannot pay upfront. And we have some customers which effectively do like this, especially, for example, uh, public sector customers who receive their budget on a not monthly basis. And mm -hmm. so that is an interesting way. It's also easier to report and to see when you're reaching but when you need to ask for more money, yeah. it uh, seems to be it requires U.S. bank account. Yeah. It also says electronic fund transfer, but I have no clue. Yeah, if, that's quite uh, That means that you can use it for the U.K. or, for example, or other countries. Mm. But, yeah, it seems to be very much for the U.S. at the moment. But it is an interesting approach, and it, it shows an interest in finance from AWS. Uh, that's a use case which is purely financial, really. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there is no financial incentive to do it. The cloud providers in general, and certainly AWS, are no longer, um, you know, requiring cash, and so capital has a has a lower value to them. So while, and that's one thing we can see when we look at the the change in the amount of discount you get for upfronting RIs and things now. It is significantly less than it used to be. The, del the delta between nothing up front and all up front is, is larger. So while maybe if you work with a provider like Strategic Blue, we might actually say, oh, okay, if you want to um, prepay on certain deals, it will give you a big discount. This isn't doing that. This isn't help. This isn't helping you get a better price for doing it. This is really focused on procurement challenges of it's maybe troublesome to be doing regular payments. It's hard to keep track of where you are versus um these kind of things and then if you link it up to alerting and stuff i'm sure this could be a very neat project but it's it's really about that it's not going to do you any uh benefits in terms of uh getting better bang for your buck but it is going to reduce uh, some of the effort that people might be having to make 
Uh, correct. There, there is no interest rate for you paying exactly. or having that money set aside. Exactly. But it's uh, so. But yes, I think POs will be quite useful. Also, if you receive a, a purchase order, and you have multiple POs for a, a single project, for example, they will just be aggregated there, and you know that's the amount of money that's there, and you don't care which PO it's coming from. Really, it's just that's the money, so you can okay. consume PO faster. Anyway, that's it for this one. Okay, so next one that I'm on to, a nice easy one that I actually understand, a public preview of Azure Database MySQL Flexible Server now offers reserved instance pricing. Of all of them, the naming conventions of the, uh, the releases and blogs are the most difficult to pronounce from Azure. But what does this mean? It now means that you can get reserved instance pricing on the Azure database for MySQL. Um, you can do one year or three year. There's no talk about the five year, uh, which is available on some of the uh, Azure VMs. Um, and it's it's still based on the flexible server uh, version. So it's quite interesting, a bit different. Um, and you simply need to um, specify the region, deployment type, performance tier, and term. and Hey, presto, you're done. So it's nice and easy to, to buy. It doesn't sound like they made any complicated because it's the, the flexible server version. So it should be neat and easy for people to start getting RI-related discounts on their uh, Azure database for MySQL. Ooh. Flexible server. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let me play also. I have an Azure one. So let's see. General availability. Azure Backup now supports archive tier for backups of SQL Server in Azure VMs. What that means is that you now have two tiers backup systems. One is the never-ending backup uh, that happens when you work with SQL Server inside a, inside a VM, and it will just mm -hmm. continuously backup your system, and it's going to be incremental. But then sometime you might want to save stuff for longer term. And so there is a new tier, which is called Vault Archive, and during that Vault Archive, it's going to convert your incremental database into a full database, the backup into a full backup, save it into this Vault Archive, which is made for long-term thing. But Vault Archive is so much cheaper than the standard Vault that it's still going to save you money. At least that's what they say. They don't give numbers. You need to go and check on the pricing page. That might be interesting. So you can have long-term backups, point-in-time long-term backups now uh, with SQL Server in Azure VM, which brings just to another thing is, I would have expected this to be there already. <laughs> mm. Quite impressive, yeah. it's a new thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a surprising one. Um, right, on to my next one. A nice easy one. The general availability confidential computing price reduction on DCSV2 virtual machines. Um, so the I quite like Allison's word. I'm actually going to read it word for word. As part of our commitment to delivering the best possible value for Azure customers, we're announcing a price reduction on DCSV2 series Azure virtual machines by 37%. And this is already in place because we are a bit behind the times in releasing our news. So yeah, if you're using that, um, and that is one of the, the confidential um, compute services um, that I, I'm not gonna say it, but I think I know what chip they're running on and we're actually potentially gonna get, um, do a special episode with a, a chip 
uh, specialist coming on um, because I believe if these are the chips I think they are then actually there's no degradation in performance for choosing the confidential compute which is just staggering it's basically being encrypted at, at work and I, you know we will ask on that particular episode which will either be the October episode or a special episode that we do uh, because of the exciting things going on with some of the chips now and how they affect both price and the green credentials but anyway yes a nice 37 percent price reduction in those chips and you are very, thank you very much for introducing the next thing for me which is a chips thing related which is the amazon ec2 m6i instances coming out so if you might know, M6i means M is just to say that's the family and the, the family is about, this is a, the family, the old rounder that they just, you can do anything with an M, web server, yeah. whatever you want. Six means the sixth generation. Until now, you only add for as a sixth generation, the Graviton, which is the, the chip for, from AWS. So now we also have Intel CPUs there. And yeah. it's interesting also that they now have the I. I yes. is new. And it is for Intel. So yeah. now when you get into, when you buy a, or you select your um, instance type, you will have I for Intel, you will have A for AMD, or you'll have G for Graviton. There will no longer so, be a default of nothing. Yeah. Exactly. So it on one side, you can say that Intel is going down. So they're really pushing the Graviton. Yeah, and so they are putting it. a letter here just to say no, no one is first of the list. No one is with nothing. We, we, they are all identified. It's quite interesting. The result from the cost. So first of all, there is a larger instance, a 32X large, 128 oh, nice. CPUs and half terabyte of memory. It should be 15% improvement in compute price performance. So that is assuming that you're effectively using CPU a lot. Yeah. Better memory bandwidth, that's really interesting, especially if you start playing with cache systems or any any sort of database. Yeah. And 40 gigabytes of EB, uh, 40 gigabit per second of EBS so for, for the storage and 50 gigabit per second for networking. So it really goes fast. And last but not least, connected to what you just said before, always on memory encryption. So there is the in-memory encryption continuously, which is it's just in memory, but it's we're really getting seeing a push towards security in the chip. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's impressive. It is a massive deal that they no longer have Intel as the default. I agree, it's largely pushing uh, the Graviton chip and one of the reasons they're doing it because uh, I imagine they make more profit out of the Graviton chips because they make themselves. But what it, if, if anyone would be laughing and anyone would be upset about this, I think AMD will be the happiest because alphabetically they're going to come first. <laughs> yes. And so if, if it's a drop down menu, they're going to be at the top. So people might choose that as default. The people that are going to be the most upset are going to be Intel because yeah. alphabetically they're last. Yes. And it's a, it's a change for them. You know, they're not the default anymore. I don't know whether they used to pay some money for a level of exclusivity or something, whether that stopped. But it does show a real change that people didn't used to care about the chips and they're beginning to again. Well, and they are forced to start caring yeah. because you have those letters you need to care about. Yeah, exactly. and, and it was interesting. I was recently, so as a, an APN ambassador, I get access to some overviews of new products or things like that. And one of the things we're showing is how RDS, so this is database, mm. how RDS is performing in the Graviton. And I have to say that if the data shown are correct, which I assume they are, when you get to quite heavy load, 
Graviton really works well, especially yeah. for the price. So you know, there really there is really a push there. Yeah, I, I think there there is definitely an argument to consider moving to Graviton for your RDS. I, I think you know there's got to be a reason not to rather than a reason to. I think it is the, it should be the default now because you're not having to handle any of the complexity of moving away from x86, but you're getting a cheaper price. The uh, And the only thing I, I will say is we haven't seen any um, any definite green credentials, I don't think, for the Gravitons, but from people I know in AWS, there is certainly talk internally there that they're significantly better, um, but they, you know, there's no studies to to prove that. But I would imagine they possibly... Ah, I would also imagine that the six eyes are better than the fives were. So, you know, in terms of, of green credentials, and we certainly know that when the AMD chips come out, that they are really, really um, strong on the green credentials. Right. Uh, moving on to my last one, I think we're going to have a couple in a row from Frank, just because um, I had uh, one that he had. Yeah, I, I've messed up because I had one that he had. Um, was... Um, that AWS announces the general availability of EBS IO2 block express volumes, um, not specifically cost reducing in the in the more standard kind of concept of, of it in terms of they are not cheaper than the alternative, the IO2, uh, but they have four times higher throughput IOPS and capacity. AI2 volumes. So when you're looking at those um, larger workloads, when you're using that new uh, 32X large or whatever, yes. um, these will end up being cheaper for the right kind of workloads. That you know, don't use them everywhere, but for really high, generally IOPS is where I talk about with this people. High IOPS, these are probably your badger. These are going to be what's going to be really uh, useful. And um, yeah, they, they are just going to the more extreme level of, of service. So uh, that will hopefully help in, in other ways and help performance and in, in turn start reducing costs. But we thought it was an interesting one regardless because there's definitely a shift to performance-related stuff again. It, it kind of dulled off, but there seems to be a drive to that at the moment, probably leading to some large announcements at something like reInvent, which is going to be around high-performance compute or something, is my guess. We've not even talked about that, Frank. This is just my little crystal ball. Just uh, write it down, please, <laughs> listeners. Write it down and make sure we, we'll check reinvent and see how how wrong how, I am. how good how good Stephen is as a medium. <laughs> well, my last one really is on Azure, and um, it is the general availability of Azure Spring Cloud pricing model change. So it's. It is kind of a, so first of all, Azure Spring Cloud, it's using the framework which is called Spring, which is a framework to create, to simplify the development, enterprise development of complex applications. Uh, it's quite old. It was exclusively Java, seems to be .NET now from what I've just seen. What what was in, what is interesting is that in the past you have so you have a basic a standard set of resources which are available to you and you pay a certain price for that and then when you go over those resources you are going to pay just incrementally but overall you have a big one a prompt cost let's put it that way and until you consume all of that you're you're still paying that same price. So what they're doing now is that they are reducing by half they are halving that requirement. So if before you needed to consume 16 vCPU and 32 gig of RAM 
to start being really cloudish as pay as you consume, now you only need to use eight vCPUs and 60 gig of RAM, which on a Java application, mm. I can do tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I write anything, almost hello world, we, we just consume two gig. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> system, oh, anyway, oh, bad memories. Uh, so yes, this, uh, th- this is, this is quite interesting. So if you are using Spring Cloud, Azure Spring Cloud, you sh- it should be, you should move to consumption faster yeah. than before. Okay, and that's L- it for me. Well, should we quickly talk about the inf one instances, the EC2 inf one instances, um, where uh, for those who don't know, the the Inferentia, a custom chip made by AWS, they have now. Uh, started supporting YOLO v5 and ResNext as deep learning models, as well as the latest, and I love this term, open source hugging face transformers, um, which just makes me think of kids' toys. Um, but basically, on the um, on the pre-trained uh, BERT models, they are 12 times better for throughput. So in comparison to other GPU-based instances, uh, they suggest that you'll be able to run the models at low cost um, doesn't say, you know, um, what it'd be compared to there, but it does suggest that the um, the savings, the price reductions are thirty eight percent. I think I think they've got this wrong. I'm going to read this out actually. For customers who want to take advantage of savings plans and reserved instances to further lower cost, we are reducing our one-year saving plan, oh, yeah, by 38%, and the three-year plan by 31%. Obviously, that is not 31% versus the on-demand price. That is just that the prices, you know, if it was 30%, it's now 39% or whatever. Um, So that's what they've done there. Um, And then, yeah, there's also the same talk about the um, savings that I think we talked about previously with SageMaker's got the same kind of things. It's based on the same stuff and going on, having underneath, but there are some uh, price reductions on the uh, RIs as well, which it doesn't really tell you in the instance, but that's one of the reasons we thought it was useful. But they also say that actually versus other GPUs, it'll be cheaper. So a double whammy. Um, and just on, on the side, if any of our listeners knows a uh, really good training on machine learning by just by seeing the number of acronyms that I have no clue about, uh, <laughs> I'll be like, I have AWS Neuron, the YOLO version 5, the REST Next Deep Learning Model, the Hugging yeah. Face Transformers, the BERT based model pre trained. I mm-hmm. am late on that one so maybe please. we should do an episode sometime of us learning all the things that we've said on the podcast so far when we actually haven't known what we meant yes <laughs> oh well if you start taking that out oh, some some of them you're just like what's that oh, service yeah yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the yeah there was certainly some that uh there were some words in that one that i definitely didn't really understand what i was saying um it's, it's it's always been my big data and deep, and machine learning has always been my my weakness. Um, the the real worry here is I've always relied on you for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, for for uh, no for machine learning, just just I need to go back to I started at the time, but now I'm totally totally out of Yolo version five. Probably, a, yeah. Anyway, we we have got a good friend who's got a PhD in it who we could always ask if needs be. Yes, and I think that that's why I'm yeah, but it's got a PhD, so. 
that makes it usually hard to start with. So <laughs> yeah. please, listeners, tell me, where should I go to understand the concept and not have to think twice about what is imperentia? Tell me. I'd, I'd love your comments. Thank you very much. Answer, answers would... on a postcard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's everything from us um, this time. There's quite a lot of news and we thought that was going to be long enough. People would be bored of listening to us if we carried on with a, a subject. And I hope everyone's had a great summer break and are settling back in. Um, just to let you know that we might have a few disruptions in September between uh, me having knee surgery and my wife having a baby. Um, we uh, It could be a bit all over the place, but we'll get our next episode out to you as soon as we can. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Bye.